Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. As of May the 20th, two days ago, the United States had 1,584,000 cases of COVID-19 and a little over 94,000 deaths. The entire state of North Carolina had 20,000 cases and about 720 deaths. In North Carolina, the vast majority of those cases and deaths have been in more heavily populated counties well east of our rural mountain counties. Yet Governor Cooper continues to impose a one-size-fits-all plan for reopening our state for normal business and personal activity. This course of action is detrimental to the economic and psychological health of our citizens while not providing any additional protection for those who are most vulnerable. The governors of seven states, Arkansas, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Utah, Wyoming, and Iowa, have chosen not to incarcerate their citizens at home without due process, and those states have the lowest infection and death rates in the United States. While the U.S. death toll as of two days ago was about 94,000, the death toll in those seven states was 820. Those seven states have approximately 4% of the U.S. population, but less than, point, less than 1% of the total death number. Their actual death number is 0.87%. Moreover, in some studies, up to 80% of all people who test positive for COVID-19 were not aware of having been ill. That is good evidence of herd immunity, which protects the general population and defeats future viral epidemics. The lives and livelihoods of over 30 million Americans have been sacrificed at least temporarily and maybe permanently, by draconian and tyrannical restrictions forced on us by a team of government physicians, most of whom have never practiced medicine in a clinical office setting. Like so many government solutions, their prophecies of death and disease are derived from flawed computer models based on inaccurate data that are guaranteed to predict the most extremely adverse outcomes. Moreover, the financial and lifestyle sacrifices demanded of our citizens are supported and vigorously promoted by bureaucrats, media personalities, professional politicians, corporate fat cats, and the wealthy elite, all of whom 
have a guaranteed income and none of whom need a weekly paycheck to provide for themselves and their families. Our Constitution applies to all government, federal, state, and local, and is required to secure and protect the natural law rights of every individual, regardless of their state of residence. Nevertheless, we have seen the assumption of tyrannical powers by the governors of numerous states who have imposed prohibitions on their citizens in direct contradiction to their constitutional rights. The First Amendment, for instance, protects the free expression of religion, yet participation in and the content, in some cases, of church services are being regulated or prohibited. The Fifth Amendment does not allow the government to deprive the citizens of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Imposing involuntary house arrest on healthy people, deciding what businesses are essential, forcing closure of businesses arbitrarily deemed non-essential, travel prohibitions, arrests for social and religious gatherings, restrictions on what items can be sold in selected stores that are allowed to open, and the use of SWAT teams to enforce these dictatorial rules does not comply with this constitutional guarantee. In a free society, individuals have the right to make decisions about their own lives. Those who do not want to incur the risk of illness or possible death from the coronavirus are welcome to remain at home. The rest of us should be allowed to carry on our lives, accepting whatever risks that entails. I'm going to close this monologue with several quotes from our founders and leaders. Thomas Jefferson, there is no justification for taking away individuals' freedom in the guise of public safety. Dwight Eisenhower, if you want total security, go to prison. There, you're fed, clothed, given medical care, and so on. The only thing lacking is freedom. These restrictions placed on our country are draconian, unconstitutional, harmful, arbitrary, and not based on either sound medical facts or common sense. And they must be removed. When we return from our commercial break... It will be my privilege to discuss these constitutional matters with my good friend and constitutional scholar, Bob Levy, chairman of the board of the Cato Institute and author of the impressively researched book, The Dirty Dozen, How Twelve Supreme Court Cases Radically Expanded Government and Eroded Freedom. Very important topics for what's going on today. So, when we come back, We will talk with Bob Levy. Once again, it is my pleasure to welcome Bob Levy, constitutional attorney, chairman of the board of the Cato Institute, and noted author, back again. And we welcome you back, Bob Levy, to Freedom Forum Radio. Dr. Dan, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Always happy to talk with you about these issues. mostly because the issues are very important and also because you're a voice of reason and, uh, and restraint in a time of uh, 
very difficult circumstances. Well, thank you very much, Bob Levy. It is a pleasure to have you back. I, I respect your knowledge. I respect your opinions. And we're going to get definitely get into that. So let's get started. So, you know, like you, I'm concerned about uh, government overreach, particularly forced closings of uh, private businesses. But I do think that it's unlikely that legal redress um, would succeed. The Constitution, of course, is not suspended even during times of emergency. But as uh, former Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson once wrote, uh, the Constitution is not a suicide pact. So it's one thing when people voluntarily expose themselves to risks, they have the right to do so. But it's a, it's another thing when people expose others uh, to risk. And under those circumstances, um, sometimes the government has powers that they can exercise to stop that sort of thing. So Congress and state legislatures have been uh, given uh, and have in turn, given extraordinary powers to their respective executives under these what's considered to be emergency circumstances. So one could even argue that forced business closings are authorized uh, um, both by statute covering emergencies and even by the takings clause of the the Constitution, uh, which says that private property can be taken for public use as long as the business owner is compensated. And, of course, business owners are supposedly being compensated by these various programs that are being uh, implemented. And, in fact, if a business owner uses his property in a manner that visits risk on non-consenting others, then compensation isn't necessary. So, you know, while I'm sympathetic to... uh, the plight of business owners. I think this is more of a policy issue than a uh, constitutional issue. I doubt very much that a constitutional challenge to these shutdowns uh, would succeed. I'm skeptical about businesses seeking a judicial uh, remedy. Um, but I do think that the, uh, <clears throat> we are being hypercautious. Um, the problem is we have uh, a lack of testing. We have a sparsity of, of hard data, and the margin of error makes it extremely difficult for, uh, to make the, the case uh, uh, convincingly one way or the other. You know, <clears throat> my gut says that we're making a big mistake by destroying the economy in order to save uh, an unknown number of lives, but the answers are unclear. You know, if we, if we assume a 20% are ultimately affected, that's 68 million people out of 340 million, and if the death rate is uh, 3%, that's 2 million lives lost. Well, that's a pretty extreme and, I think, uh, overly pessimistic estimate. But on the other hand, taking it more optimistically, if only 1% get infected, that's 3.4 million, and let's say the death rate is 3%, well, that's about 100,000 deaths. That's roughly what we're approaching at the moment, and that's uh, about the same as a really bad uh, uh, flu year. And we know that the death rate is going to decline as testing becomes uh, widespread because the denominator of that fraction, namely known infections, uh, increases with a higher level of, of, uh, of testing. The infections might expand, not because there are more of them, but because we find out about them. Um, the good news is that these pandemics don't last uh, forever, so sooner or later, 
uh, treatments are available, vaccines will become available. And as you pointed out, uh, infected folks build up immunity, and sooner or later that immunity reaches a stage at which the rest of us uh, are are protected. So this is a very, I think, difficult uh, time, and a general um, proposition is that uh, hard cases make bad law. And I think if we try to structure a permanent legal regimen based on these emergency conditions, we will um, regret that. So at a minimum, any laws that are put in place to address this uh, contingency have to be sunsetted. They have to expire immediately when this contingency no longer exists. So we void the possibility that government will use this as an excuse to expand and to violate civil liberties that even though occasionally they can be violated during emergency conditions, it would be devastating if it became the norm uh, rather than the exception to our constitutional uh, regime. Well, Bob, you've raised in your opening statement here, you've raised some really interesting and, and really important questions that we need to address. Um, first of all, I mean, I know uh, that you are a textualist, that you believe in the actual written words of the Constitution uh, that define its meaning. Um, and you know that the Bill of Rights enumerates the natural law rights of individuals and government is required to protect and secure those rights. And, and so what troubles me, what troubles me about all of these things uh, is that there's two things that trouble me. Number one is that these restrictions and, and the takings of property, the takings of liberty, you know, that the Fifth Amendment, the, the taking of, of life, liberty, and property without due process of law, that strikes me as being a pretty important phrase for, for you and me and every other individual. I mean, I don't want to be imprisoned on the whim of some government official. Uh, I don't want people locking me in my home and threatening me with shackles and, and, and arrest in jail for leaving my front door. Uh, the problem is, is when you give government temporary powers or powers you think are temporary, you obviously have seen a gross uh, usurpation of power. But look at what the governors are doing. Look at Michigan, for instance, New York, even our own state of North Carolina. I mean, these are people who are power-hungry, they're, they have a lust for power that knows no bounds, and we've kind of given them an open door to do so. I agree entirely uh, with everything you said, um, but I think it needs to be uh, considered um, juxtaposed against the opposite situation. Namely, we do have a Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights is unequivocal in suggesting that these rights can't be violated. For example, the First Amendment says that no law, Congress shall make no law infringing on free speech. Now, does that really mean that Congress shall make no law? It does not. What it means is that Congress makes lots of laws. Uh, you can't falsely hire, fire uh, uh, 
uh, shout a fire in a, in a crowded theater. You can't lie in commercial advertising. You can't make certain campaign finance uh, expenditures. Uh, you can't defame people, um, and on and on. So there, there are lots of laws that infringe on free speech, even though the First Amendment is unequivocal in denouncing laws that infringe on spe- free speech. In the same sense, the Second Amendment, which says the right to bear arms shall not be infringed, but we have you know laws preventing eleven uh, year olds from carrying machine guns in front of the White House when the president is delivering a speech, and we know that some weapons, some circumstances, and some um, individuals can be uh, can be regulated, notwithstanding the fact that the first the Second Amendment says that uh, <clears throat> there should be no one. No infringement on the right to bear arms. So what it means is that the Bill of Rights establishes a presumption in favor of liberty. And that presumption isn't an absolute uh, right, but imposes upon government an enormous burden. And that is to say, government has to justify its regulations, its compromises of any of these rights. And it has to show, um, first, that there's a compelling need for the regulation, Second, that the regulation is going to be effective and satisfy that need. And third, that there's uh, no better way to do it. Uh, there's no less intrusive way of doing it. So that's really the framework for how we have to evaluate uh, some of these incursions that are taking place in response to this virus. And I'm uh, in agreement with you entirely that a number of the governors uh, have taken steps that are draconian and that, in fact, go too far. Uh, But you can see the murky uh, guidelines uh, that we have to uh, assess in deciding whether or not these actions have gone too far. Even the taking of property. The taking of property is justified under the takings clause uh, if the taking is for public use, and certainly if the taking is of property that is being used in an injurious way fashion. So one could argue that the the shutdown here is a taking of property, but on the other hand, it is for public use because it's been shown that that, uh, large crowds increase the likelihood that this virus is going to be uh, spread, and therefore the taking is is justified. Um, I don't know the answer to this in every set of circumstances, but I think it's fact-dependent we have to look at each uh, circumstance and assess whether or not the regulation that's been put in place goes too far. And my own view is that the regulations have gone uh, too far, that we've been uh, in this balance between the health effects on the one hand and the economic effects on the other. We've allowed the health community to dictate um, that uh, we will basically shut down the economy in order to save lives. And the, uh, the the shibboleth, you know, the rallying cry that uh, we can't sacrifice a single life, uh, um, and if necessary, we will shut down everything. That's simply nonsense. We sacrifice lives all the time. After all, we we lose I don't know how many tens of thousands of lives on the highways uh, because we've determined that the ability to drive automobiles is is necessary to economic survival. Well, in the same sense, the ability to open up businesses is necessary to economic survival as well, not just for the owners of the businesses, uh, but for the employees as well, and indeed for the customers. Uh, So these these absolutes that say uh, we're going to shut down 
uh, all businesses, I think, are absolutely absurd. And one big mistake we've made in this case is that we've focused on this illusory difference between businesses that are deemed to be essential and businesses that are deemed to be uh, non-essential. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Give a thing.